after 11 years of marriage, your lives are so entwined that there's not an easy way to separate. There's not an easy way to say, okay, you know, you go your way, I'll go mine, and we'll see each other when we exchange for kids. That's really not possible when you have a child with autism. We're in contact every day. We have to be kind to one another. We have to be amicable, if not friends. Welcome to the Daily Naked Parent Podcast, brought to you by Rocco Blue, the first ever brand focused on supporting parents with special needs children. Naked Parent Nation is a group of parents with special needs children who are willing to get vulnerable, strip it all down, and take a look at ourselves, our parenting, our family, and our plans to create a life beyond our wildest dreams. On today's show, we'll be discussing co-parenting challenges, extended family controversy, and how to block it all out in order to live an amazing life. Hello, Naked Parent Nation, and welcome to today's episode of the Naked Parent Podcast. My name is Chad Ratliff, and I'm your host. Before I introduce you to our guest today, let me start by sharing our community's code. Naked Parent Nation is a worldwide community of parents raising children with all kinds of needs. We come together to share our naked truth, support our fellow parents, and inspire the inner growth that each of us needs for dreams. For the parents that are struggling, we want you to know that we will love you until you can love yourself. For your children, we pray and send power from our collective group. As we come to understand our lives, that there's no need to feel sorry for ourselves, be angry, or feel lack. We come to understand that our feelings of limitation and separation are only in our minds. Through self-realization, we expand our consciousness so that the challenges that perplex us today dissipate one by one until we're able to see and experience gratitude and beauty in everything just as it is. We have the power to create the life we want for ourselves and our families. We do this by living in the naked present moment, one day at a time. Esther and Jerry Hicks call it the science of deliberation, and we call it the answer to all of our prayers. So I'd like to introduce you to Carrie Jones. Carrie, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. And just to Naked Parent Nation, Carrie's a 35-year-old mother of four biological children and has a stepdaughter, but since uh, recently, or since a divorce with her father, what has with her father? Your oldest was diagnosed at two with autism. Genetics showed 47XYY. Mm-hmm. Yep, your, that's correct. Your youngest has a different father, not in the picture. You're estranged from your father family or some of them and are seeking some are willing to rebuild and some not so much that we'll see as time goes on yes you've been diagnosed bipolar but are seeking a re-diagnosis after a lot of research and you're ready to start living basically yep i mean i've been on this journey since my son was diagnosed back in 2013 is when he was diagnosed and it was pretty obvious at that point that we had a special needs son. He was very difficult to soothe. He was very, very anxious all the time as a baby. And you could really see that he cried constantly. Just, it was a constant thing. He was always upset. He was sensory deprived. Now that, you know, looking back on it, that's what I knew. I know it is now, but as a first time mother of a baby, when I became a mother, I became a mother of a toddler. 
um, she was three years old when I, when I got her. So the first time mom was a baby, it was a very surreal experience. I mean, I've been around kids and babies my entire life, you know, daycare, very, very large family. I knew babies and I knew that that wasn't normal. We started very early with like infant toddler programs and status and stuff. But the more we went forward, the more we realized that there was something very, very wrong. Once we got the diagnosis, I was already pregnant with our second um, biological. The fear then was very real that we would have a second child that had autism or other diagnosis. You know, I mean, back then it was a very big stress and it was very, very hard for me to try and wrap my head around that. But now knowing what I know, it wouldn't have mattered had the child been my daughter been diagnosed with autism or, you know, another child that I have diagnosed with autism because you have one and you pretty much have it mastered. <laughs> Even though every child is different, you have it, you have down what triggers to look for and what you can do as a parent to try and help that child. I was very lucky because I was very, always very in tune with my son and even though he's nonverbal, I could understand what he was trying to communicate very easily. As time went on and as years went on, you know, we had, you know, me and my ex-husband had our own problems. He didn't deal with the diagnosis very well. He took it on as his fault. It was something that he did. And that was very, very difficult for him and for us as a couple to try and process. You know, obviously, now we know that that was not the case. You know, that it was after we got our genetics done it was a one in 10,000 chance that our son was going to be born the way he was uh, just a, a very slight thing. This, you know, 47 X, Y, Y chromosome with all of his abnormalities that he has, even then knowing that you still, as a parent grieve, you still go through the process and my ex-husband and I just do it very, very differently. And it, it got just to the point to where we, you know, they say that 80% of parents who have children with autism, their marriage fails. We were just one of those. Me yep. Yeah. Can I back you up just for a second? I'm curious about a couple of things. Yeah, go ahead. Is there a breakdown for that, the 47, 47 XYY? Like, is that, is that, what does that mean? 47 so, so basically we're born with 46 chromosomes. We have, females have XX, um, males have XY. Riley has an extra chromosome. So he is 47XYY. Most children who are born with Down syndrome are 47XYX or XXY. And that's their abnormal, uh, abnormal chromosomal, chromosomal abnormality. But Riley is born with an extra Y chromosome which basically means that because of the abnormality, he was born with autism. It's what causes autism, ADHD. He has extra growth hormones. He doesn't produce his own melatonin. So sleeping is very difficult. Growing is constant. And uh, he is currently the size of a, I want to say a 15-year-old is what he's projected as right now. But he's 11, just turned 11. And I mean, his dad is already a big guy. His dad is six, five, you know, 300 pounds. He's a very big guy. He's projected to be taller than his dad. We're, we're looking at possibly in the range of seven feet tall. We don't know for sure. Wow. So me as a five foot four mother, <laughs> very daunting. 
I can only imagine. I have another question. When the second child's on the way, so, mm-hmm. so first of all, uh, did your experience with young kids allow you to not be in denial when you saw the signs? Because a lot of people that come on the show, myself included, we didn't want to see the signs. It was sometimes a family member or somebody else that sort of had to, you know. Um, yeah. How did that work for you? Did you see it or did you, what was that experience like for you? I knew right away. We had a lot of difficulties, but I was in constant contact with his doctor um, because there was just so many things going on, so many different things. And it was very clear that there was something going on that I didn't have any kind of finger on or control over. And did I know it was autism? Not necessarily, because my son had said mama at eight months old. He had excellent eye contact. He was a very loving baby. He wanted to be held all the time. I was the only one that could hold him. I was the only one that could comfort him. Not even his dad could comfort him until he was about probably six to eight months old. He wouldn't allow my family members to really even hold him or touch him. My ex-husband's family would hold him and try and comfort him, but even that, it was forced. He didn't want anybody but me. And he wouldn't calm down as an infant, as a toddler, as anything, unless he had that deep pressure. So like as a baby, rocking him to sleep, I had to like really hold on to him to get him to calm down. And as a toddler, a lot of people were, you know, shocked by it or whatnot. But when I, when he was just like out of control and didn't know what else to do, I would start bouncing him on the sofa. And if it was bad enough, I would let him drop. I would, you know, give him that, that deep sensory and it would just snap him right out of it. You know, many, even the occupational therapist that I, I went to when he was around, you know, two or three, they would look at me and they would be like, what? Oh my gosh. You know, what, what are you doing? And I was like, just trust me. <laughs> it works. Just trust me. And, uh, I would lay on top of him, not my full body weight when he was younger, but I would lay on top of him to try and get him that sensory that he was seeking. And it helped him so much. But the other problems were his eating. You know, he was a breastfed baby, but at six months old, he wouldn't eat regular foods. At, you know, a year old, um, you know, try and introduce, you know, vegetables, fruits, anything like that. He would barf the moment they touched his mouth. And it was a very big struggle to get him any kind of food. So you see all these different things that it's just... It's not the norm. It's not enough to make you go, oh, my gosh, something is severely wrong with my kid. But it's not the norm. So it's enough to make you go, okay, maybe there's something I can do different to help him. And for me, you know, because I had been around kids my entire life, I was one to go, okay, I trust my doctor. I know my doctor. I'm going to go and ask her opinion. And the more I got to talking, the more, the further behind in his milestones he was getting because he didn't crawl right away didn't walk right away. We thought it was because he was so big because he's kind of like this chunker. He's, you know, in his 110th percentile and all of that. But when it, when it passed, the, even the point of him being able to, as a, a big baby, that's when we were like, okay, something's going on. If I'm making weird facial expressions, it's because your baby's so cute. Who's this? Who's this? this is Toby. This is Tobias is his name. And he is three months old. He looks huh. like, hi, he looks like he's 12 months. 
Yep, he definitely does. He's well. That's what size clothing he's in. And then you know, this one is Lula. That's my youngest. Um, with well, I have three with their my ex husband, and that's the youngest of those three. So she's my third. Was there any kind of regression? Did your son start developing any kind of skills that it seemed like he lost or that went away? Was there anything like that? We experienced that regularly. So he would make progress and then he would regress and he would make progress and then he would regress. And that was a constant thing. We were, and I think that's why they do the testing so often too, like with his speech, especially they do testing every year, but with my son, they started doing it every six months is what they started doing. And that was because they would do the testing and this was, you know, basic skills like, can he zip up a zipper? Can he do his buttons? You know, that kind of stuff. Um, only eight. That's him with dominoes in the background. Awesome. He ha- yeah, he has. Went down. It's a, it's, oh, yeah. He's a, he's a dominoes crasher is what he is. He would um, make progress. He would start to feel like he had his feet under, under him. And then he would, he would regress. And he, it would be as if no progress was made whatsoever or that we weren't working with him at all. And it was almost like he just completely forgot the skills. He oftentimes it would, it would almost be like he would try, but he just couldn't remember if that makes any sense. Like almost like, you know, muscle memory was kind of there, but it it wasn't in fact. So we had to work with him a lot on a, basic skills, you know, speech or with occupational therapy, it was um, fine motor a lot. It's okay. Like it ever lack of motivation. Like for my son, I feel like he's not motivated when he's not motivated. Um, I could definitely tell that like he didn't want to, if that's kind of what you mean, but it wasn't, I don't, I don't think it was a lack of motivation. He definitely had motivation to do it, but he was happy with how he was doing things. Like, he just didn't want to comply with our our version of things. Sounds like One other question. um, We had our third kid before we even knew the first kid had. Right. There was a lot of. um, Not the new baby that's coming, but. going to have special needs can I handle it what is everybody thinking about me they're probably thinking how could this how could this be so uh, that was a yeah. lot of, that was a lot of stuff I wish I didn't think about but did you go through any of that well, or tell us so with um, with my ex husband, when we realized that Riley had and you know special needs, he was working at a cell phone store. He had been in a construction, but trying to get any kind of job where he could assist me because I wasn't getting a whole lot of help otherwise. My sister was having kids that mirrored my kids' ages, so I you know she was busy with her own family. My little sister, she was here, but she had plans on moving away at that point. And 
my mom just really wasn't able to help as far as my son goes. And I think that was what really started creating the distance between my family and I is that there wasn't a whole lot that they could do to support me. But then it seemed for me, it started as though because it was easier to support my older sister with her children. It was easier to support her than it was for me, even though I was probably the one that really needed help. So it, it just got to the point where we were on our, on our own. I wasn't able to work because there was no daycare that could take a Riley. So I stayed at home and we were very much on a very limited budget. And I started, you know, applying for state help. Um, anything I could get, any kind of programs I could get into just to make ends meet. The paperwork is astonishing. Let me tell you that. Yeah. Um, so social security, uh, health and welfare, food stamps, Medicaid, WIC, you know, anything. It is so many hoops to jump through. It's a full-time job itself. Yes. So that's what I was doing. And at that point, it did seem like almost like a failure for me because I wasn't able to provide the things that my kids wanted. My kids, you know, had everything that they needed, but it wasn't, you know, you know, we couldn't go and get, you know, fast food when they wanted to, you know, there weren't happy meals. There weren't that kind of stuff because we couldn't afford it. Everything we had went to gas to get to and from his appointments because we lived an hour away from any and all of his doctor's appointments. It was, you know, bills because we were trying to be sustainable, live on our own, but it was, you know, very expensive. There was a lot of sacrifices and a lot of things that we did to try and support ourselves, but you do end up feeling guilty like you're not doing your best because you're receiving so much help. When we stopped receiving the state help, it was a good thing, bad thing, because we had we had come to rely on it a little bit, but getting back on our own feet was a very big accomplishment for me. So I was very helpful for that. I think, honestly, the biggest thing for my ex-husband was the looks and the stares when we would go out in public. Because for the longest time, Riley was not okay in public. Riley would throw himself down. He would scream. He would cry. He would run away from us. He was a danger to himself. There were several times where he, you know, he would just dart and run. I would be, you know, at one of my friend's house, my sister's house, anywhere. And he would get away from me before I could catch up to him. This little two-year-old, three-year-old boy would be headed for the road outside their house. And it was the scariest thing because you can't catch up to him. And you do feel like, you know, everyone's judging you. Everyone's like what kind of parents, you know, lets their kid do that or, you know, you need to discipline your kid because they're not under, you know, they, they know better than that. They don't know better. They have no sense of danger whatsoever. And I wasn't going to discipline my child for that. And then more kids come <laughs> and more kids to come. And it's, it does begin to feel, I mean, you yourself feel like you're drowning, but then everyone's opinions make you feel like you're on an Island and like you can't, no one can possibly understand how you feel, but then you also feel guilt, an immense amount of guilt, because these are your decisions. No one got here at this point but you. I don't think that that for me has changed, but the amount of, I would say, shame from you know trying to change his behavior in public or trying to get him to adapt, I, I just don't care anymore. 
you know, if people are going to stare, people can stare. I don't care. I, if he's throwing a fit in the store, I'll have my other three kids. I'm I'm wearing the baby. I have my three-year-old in the cart and my eight-year-old standing next to me. And Riley throws himself down on the ground screaming because we're not going to get his donut that he wants to get because he didn't ask. And he can't just take things. So he'll throw himself down, cry, scream, do whatever. And I just tell him. Hey, when you're done, we'll get up and we'll move. And if you want to try again, we can try again. But I just don't care anymore. Uh, very smart. I uh, meditations changed my life, and I'm this is the guy who, like, if you told me to sit still for 30 seconds at one point, you know, that would have been like a torture method for somebody like me. Yeah, it's an evolving process, but that's another show. <laughs> Back to the family dynamics because my ex had four other sisters and her mom was one of eight and we'd go on family vacation there'd be like a little before dinner party the invitation didn't come the invitation didn't come to our room to join that party but it did go to yep. the other sisters who have the varsity lettered the whatever daughter and that for for her it was her family direct so that was just i mean she'd sit in the room crying yeah you know, throwing themselves on the floor, chaos. I mean, it's sad. Um, I don't wish that for anybody. And then at the same time, some people just had no idea how to process it. Yeah. They don't know what to do, so they don't do anything. Yeah, that's a sad part about it. And you're in that right now, aren't you, a little bit? Aren't you dealing with, or is it not related to it? Back up just a little bit because I you cut out right with you as you were beginning to ask the question and then I all I heard was you're in that right now. So what was the first part of that question? So we're talking about the challenges of family, extended family, not understanding, not helping mm-hmm. in the effort, but then also you're having some issues with family currently. Um, is it related to that dynamic or is that is, is it other things? It's other things, honestly. It's it's more related to my divorce than it is anything else. Divorce is very fresh. Um, We separated last year, and it was finalized (laughs) the day I gave birth um, to my son. So that was, it's been a big struggle. Um, You know, I was trying to get everything processed and, you know, just us to come to an agreement. I was very amicable the whole time, just trying to get it done, over with. We That way we could both move on. And just focus on the kids and just have that be our main focus. But after 11 years of marriage, your lives are so entwined that there's not an easy way to separate. There's not an easy way to say, okay, you know, you go your way, I'll go mine, and we'll see each other when we exchange for kids. That's really not possible when you have a child with autism. We're in contact every day. We have to be kind to one another. We have to be amicable, if not friends, you know. And for my family, my ex-husband was wanting them to to help me so that he didn't have to be responsible financially for me anymore. And so he wanted them to like, you know, let me move in and all this kind of stuff. And they were more or less like, uh, we think that he should be helping you. And it caused some big rifts between everybody. And those are still healing. I think eventually they will get healed, but And I I believe it'll be for the kids' sake, if or anything, but I definitely was in the middle of all of that. And there was a lot of things that were out of my control, but that I'm still trying to 
have each party take responsibility for on their own so that those, the healing can actually start. Because if you don't take responsibility for your actions, the healing cannot start. I was not proud of the way that my marriage ended. I was a very desperate person. I had myself a mental breakdown. I was pushed to my limits. I had all the kids full time. I was doing all of the back end office work for my ex-husband. You know, he's in construction. So you can imagine there's a lot of a lot of office work. You know, it's all the licensing, the insurances, all the contracting, the contracts, all of the billing, you know, pay, accounts receivable, payable, all the payroll for the employees. That was all on my shoulders. Wow. And so I started getting into counseling because I had had my suspicions of you know, my own mental illnesses and things that were out of my control that I was needing help to cope with. And when I started doing that and I started getting a little bit more respect for myself, my counselor encouraged me, like, you know, if you're not wanting to, you know, work the way that he's having you work, then don't. And the minute I started putting forth my efforts for myself was when the marriage started crumbling because he had coped the whole time by working. It was very difficult for him to slide into a, a working parent role where he was responsible for the children half the time because I was always responsible for the children. And I still am most of the time, but that's how he coped. He became a workaholic so that he didn't have to face the real emotions behind it. And that also was something that didn't sit well with my family So for me, there was a lot of back and forth with my family because they wanted him to act differently with me. I was in the situation where if you guys are going to fight with him, I can't be around you because then it just causes problems with my own family and I'm just trying to live peacefully. So it's been a long time of a lot of different things going on. As relates to it with autism, my mother couldn't be helpful because she didn't have the ability to really understand or, or be around Riley. She has her own anxiety problems as well. But the understanding part was more or less like, hey, I need a break. I need to come up and just be around people for a couple hours. And there were kind of a, always something that was going on with other things that I couldn't be a part of for that to happen. So I was always told, well, maybe another day, maybe another day. And it just got to the point where I wasn't, I wasn't asking anymore. I'm not going to ask to come up when I've been rejected, you know, this, this many times. Right. And, you know, it's, it's kind of funny that you mentioned your ex-wife's, you know, big family and then, you know, the pre-parties and all that kind of stuff, because that was very much how my family is. Um, my dad is one of 10. My mom is one of five. I have 42 cousins, you know, first cousins. Wow. I very much have a, you know, that big family dynamic and, you know, I'm one of four. So going up to my parents' house, that because that's what you know, the hub where everyone meets up because I have a brother over the West Coast and my sisters, you know, down south on the West Coast, and then one other sister is here with my parents. Everybody was gathering. I was the one who could come over for dinner, you know, after my husband got off work and I could have some help at that point because everybody was doing other things and it wasn't an easy thing for me to be able to go up there, sit and visit. I didn't get to sit and visit. There were so many fights that happened that it just became easier to wait to go up until afterwards. There was a couple times where I was asked not to come, 
it wasn't related to autism, but it was related to the kids not getting along. And then me and my sister not getting along because of that. There's been a lot of trials there. I mean, I will say that me and my sister are on great terms now. It's been a long time coming. <laughs> it's been a lot of fights and a lot of back and forth. And, you know, not all of it is on her end, not all of it's on my end, you know, but it's, it's all part of growing up. It's all part of realizing that a lot of things are out of our control. I don't think that I would be the parent I am had I not had my stepdaughter, had I not had my son with autism, because it makes you understand and allows for that grace that kids need. Whereas my parents were not raised that way. My parents were raised in that they're acting out, they need discipline. And even to this day, my father and my mother disagree with what I'm doing. It's an immediate scolding. You know, like I go back to being a 12-year-old kid. It's a generational thing, but it's also an understanding that a lot of people don't have of the previous generation of just how the autistic mind works or the the dynamics of being a step-parent, you know, because my stepdaughter was my kid. I absolutely loved her through and through, love her. But after the divorce, everything changed, just absolutely everything. Her mother didn't want me to have any contact with her at that point. Her father was kind of using it as a a tool to hurt me at that time where I wasn't allowed to ask questions. I wasn't allowed to do this or that or, you know, give my input about anything anymore because I was no longer the parent. It's been slowly but surely, but over the past year, you know, I still get my days with my stepdaughter. She still comes over and she still hangs out. And it's been her choice. It's been her telling her parents, I'm going to go hang out with Carrie And that's what my day is going to be spending like. So, you know, I at least know that I did something right to have her still come and choose to come over. Cool. I appreciate you sharing that. Those are like, those are really tough dynamics. Mm -hmm. And I could go off on a tangent and I'm not going to, I'm just going to give one, (laughs) share one thing that helped me after I bent for a few seconds. And that is that that the family loss is not designed for success and it's hurt. Mm -hmm families, parents, children. I mean, I've been trying to get divorced for four and a half years. Um, wow. And now the big family on the other side, they haven't, you know, my kid's mom hasn't seen them in a while just because of drug issues, but, but the extended family who lives a mile away, who's, you know, comes from eight kids who you think like they haven't seen them in years either. And it's all around this turmoil that's been created that has nothing to do with the kids. It's all focused on other things. But yeah. then when we talk, it's like, it's for the kids. But when it's in court, nobody ever asks how the kids are doing or, or what are we doing to like make things better for the kids? We're talking about money and different things like that. So that's my advance and my tip that changed my life is somebody said, why don't you pray for your someday to be X? And I said, you know, why would I pray for the girl who went to her parents to get four attorneys, you know, give me a bunch of false charges, the house, the cars, and the money, and I have 100% custody of kids on welfare? Why yeah. would that kind of person? And they said, well, how's it working for you now? And I was angry all the time. I was just, I couldn't yes. get out of my head. I was a victim. I wasn't growing. So one day I was like, all right, God, if you want something good to happen to her, I'm not going to stand in your way. You know, just that was how weak my prayer was kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then I just started doing it every day and everything started softening. And I don't have anger for this 
woman anymore. I actually have compassion and empathy and, and she must be in a tough place. And yeah, and it changed everything for me. And I started growing. I stopped being so angry. And that's what started this journey of higher consciousness and meeting other people. So I just wanted to share that for Naked Parent Nation, because when I was in it, there was no other way to look at what I was going through. It was a catastrophe. It was terrible for the kid. It was all these things that I thought. But now when I look back, all those things that I was thinking didn't do anything except hurt my ability to be a good parent. And to yeah. Grow. So yep. there you have it. And I mean, honestly, I, you know, same thing for me, once I really started focusing on, you know, my Bible reading and going back to the basics of my relationship with God, that was when not only did the stress come off of my own shoulders, but you are really at peace. You're at peace with who you are as a person and you can move forward. You're not worrying about what happened yesterday. You're worried about what's going to happen today. And you're worried about and I mean, you're not even really worried, but you're just focusing on what you can do as a person and doing your best and trying to maintain those values that he expresses that he, you know, through his word, the Bible that he wants you to keep and praying for that other person. It honestly just gives you a relief of not carrying around that grudge and really carrying it, you know, is it's your burden because if you don't forgive a person, they don't care. It has nothing to do with them. It, it is for your inner peace that you you forgive and forget, you know? And that's why I'm glad we're talking about it because at the time I didn't, I didn't see that as an option. Mm-hmm. So anybody listening who's struggling, who felt like, who's feeling like they're not growing and stuck in the mud on a particular situation, try it out or just try something different. Because when I look back, it's like I didn't need to... In- I mean, I did because it got me to hear, but mm-hmm. if I was to help a loved one, I would try not to have them sit in the muck for as long on the exact same topic, you know, over and over right. day out. So yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed this conversation and I'm happy about that. I'm really grateful for the topics that we covered, which is a little different than the, some of the normal flow of questions that we have. So I want to thank you for that. Um, Absolutely. In an effort to just kind of, maybe more quickly get uh, more of your thoughts, opinions, and journey. We do kind of a lightning round where you give one sentence, you know, one word to one sentence answers to questions, just so we can get more of uh, your perspective on some of these questions. Are you up for it? Let's do it. All right. What's the best advice you have received? Honestly, let it go. Great. What online course topic would you sign up for today if it was available? Marriage counseling. Do you have a top resource or recommendation to share with other parents? Facebook groups, honestly. For sure. What's the next thing on your list that you want to add for your individual well-being? Tiny living. Okay, yeah. All right, so I, I thought maybe I was misunderstanding that in your bio. That's why I didn't say it. Uh-huh. Because uh, I thought maybe it was a misprint because I didn't exactly understand that. Can you go into a little more detail on that? I am not one that has ever been uh, very materialistic. Things and possessions, while I like having them and it makes life you know, easier in some ways, they stress me out. I believe in experiences over things. So my next adventure is I'm going to be buying an RV that's big enough to hold me and my children. 
and we are going to be living in the RV full time. So we can go where we want to go. We can park if we want to park it. Um, we can live where we want to live. I don't necessarily think that I'll be, you know, like pulling the kids out of school or anything like that and, you know, going full nomad. But I definitely think that just minimalizing, you know, not putting value in to the things that you can possess, you know, not spending, a, you know, thousands of dollars on TVs and, t- and tablets and phones and um, all these toys that kids don't even play with. I would much rather them go outside and have an experience. So that's what I'm so focusing on. So is tiny on living, is that, a ter- is that your term? Is that a, is that a common term? I know. Uh, it's a pretty common term. Yeah. Is it is mm-hmm. that being a minimalist? Kind of living. Yeah, it's it's kind of minimalist, be, um, but more or less, it's it's it is living on less, but it's living a sustainable life. So you are not working to live. You are, you know, you you work to get your income of what you need, but you are living your life with the people that you love. So you are surrounding yourself with just the people you love, minimal amounts of, you know, things and home and whatever else. It's just about being together and it's just about, you know, living simply, I would put it. Tiny living itself is is more or less a, a tiny home that you, you know, you put on a piece of property and you stay there. You don't have a big house. You You just have like all these different ways of, of reducing uh, space. I like that. For me, RV living is a little bit more conventional just because if I need to move my home, I can. And if I need to, I mean, camping with Riley is impossible. It's not a possibility. But if I had a home, his home that he's familiar with, that he has all of his stuff in, and we could take that on adventures, that's a possibility. So that's my goal is to have those adventures and be able to keep him happy to be able to have those. I follow this couple on, um, or this family on, on Facebook. It's called uh, finding Cooper's voice. And she has an 11 year old autistic son who reminds me so much of my kid. And a lot of what they do, they don't, they don't RV live. They don't tiny live or anything like that. But I've seen a lot of like their kind of adventures and stuff they go on. And it's, it's just made me realize that I, I don't like a sedentary, but I don't know if I'm saying that right, life. I would much rather have just being, being the surroundings that make me happy. And stuff doesn't make me happy. My kids make me happy. So that's what I want them to focus on that. as well. I think that's actually a great place to end the show for today. And I hope that we can stay connected. And I would love to... Um, you know, touch base down the road to hear how things are going with your family and, but to hear the next steps in tiny living. And um, I'd love if you stayed a friend of the show and we kept connected. Absolutely. Yeah. I'd love that. I appreciate you taking the time today. Tell your kids, thank you for sharing mommy with naked parent nation. (laughs) Yes, I will. I wish you all the best until next time. All right. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me. Bye. This concludes our show for today, and I'd like to personally thank you for spending the time with us on a topic near and dear to our hearts. 
If you'd like to be part of the Naked Parent Nation and help us reach those parents that are struggling and overwhelmed, there's no better way to help than by subscribing, rating, and reviewing the show on iTunes. iTunes highlights the shows based on these metrics, and the more the show gets highlighted, the more opportunities people will have to be introduced to the show where they can hear that message of hope or that tip that can change everything. So follow the link in our show notes and we hope to have you back here tomorrow where we'll do it again. From the team here at the Naked Parent Podcast, we wish you the life you've always dreamed of and then some. So long. <laughs>